This morning we're looking at the story of Hagar, an interesting story. We don't often hear anything about Hagar. She's just this little detail in the story. Uh, but it does challenge us, reveals to us so much about what God is like. So I'm going to pray now that God will help us to understand uh, and, and to uh, understand what he's teaching us this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for the Old Testament and what it records for us. People's lives, what real people go through and how you deal with them. Lord, we just pray that as we look at this story, it's not just a story of detail, of history, but a story of your love that we can understand and connect to. We pray that you'd uh, help us to understand that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's interesting... Uh, little bit of fact I learnt this week about the Statue of Liberty, how, what the Statue of Liberty stands for. Statue of Liberty is in America, in New York, at the sort of the entrance into the harbour where lots of pilgrims used to come in to America to find a new life and the new world. And what the Statue of Liberty represents as they see this statue. Because many people today see the statue and they hold it up, Americans I might add, hold it up as a statement of patriotism. This is who we are, and they show the Statue of Liberty. You know, this is us. You know, make America great again. This is what we are. And in the same breath, they're saying that, holding up the Statue of Liberty, it's this is who we are, and we're going to keep everybody out because we want to protect our borders. We're going to build walls. We're going to make America great, keep America great. And this is what the Statue of Liberty turns into, a statue of intimidation, if you come into here, you need to know this is our country, our land, and you're a visitor. Seems to be what is portrayed as. Now, I learned this week there's a plaque at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty uh, that explains um, what it was put there for. It was a poem written when the statue was erected and it was attached onto it. And a part of the poem says this. It goes on a little bit at the start and then comes back to this. He says, Give me your tired and your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe for uh, to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's actually a welcome to those who have nothing. It's a welcome to the new land, a welcome to those who are broken, welcome to the homeless, welcome to those who are hurt and are struggling, welcome to this country. And it's a sign of acceptance and love like you'll find a home here you know this start this new beginning so there's this tension then what is the statue of liberty <laughs> representing originally it was a welcome sign a sign of peace and love and acceptance where now it's turned into something that's often used as just the exact opposite this is america stay away now it got me thinking about how people understand what god is like is God, your God that you think of, is God the God that stands at the gates of heaven and looks down on us and you know, throws lightning bolts at us whenever we do something wrong, quick to punish us, quick to point out our faults and say, this is why you don't deserve to be in heaven? Or is God the kind of God that's just loving, accepting, that'll take anybody in, uh, the homeless and lost, just come to me, he says. What is God really like? See, is God the God that's out there <clears throat> or is he, God even care about me and what I'm going through? You know, this is very touching, this sign. It's like, we do care about what you're going through, come to me. But how does God really know me? Is God going to, when he does know me, is he going to point the finger and punish me? Or is he going to welcome me and accept me and take me as I am? 
So even when we think of the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, uh, it's the same God. But the way we understand those, we go, God of the Old Testament is harsh, he's angry. God of the New Testament is all loving. I like the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. We get these mixed views. What is God really like? We're going to read a bit of the Old Testament, uh, this story about uh, the life of Hagar, uh, and try and work out how does God deal with people? Is God a God that pushes people away every time they make a mistake? Or is he the loving God that welcomes people in? Let's spend a minute to meet the family. The family uh, is Abraham, or I should just explain this. There's Abram, you might have noticed, written in the, in the reading we had. Abram, better known as Abraham, his name will get changed a bit later on in the story because when he finally gets his own children. Uh, he gets promises. So Genesis, the world's created, the world's a mess, the world gets uh, you know, uh, cleaned out through the flood. And then we meet this person, Abram, or Abraham, I'm going to start calling him, because that's what we often know him better as. Uh, Abraham's been given promises by God. So I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have so many descendants, you're going to have a great nation behind you. Uh, now that means that he's got to have kids, and at this point in time, he doesn't have kids. God says, I'm going to give you a great land. And at that time, Abraham, Abraham didn't have any land at all. He had to trust God, follow God, to take him and his people into this land. And God says, I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And through me blessing you, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. So he's going to be a man of blessing as well. Three things that make up part of this promise. That's why Abraham's an important part of the story because uh, this starts in Genesis 12, unfolds all through the Old Testament, fulfilled through Jesus and how Jesus blesses all, the, um, all people uh, through him. So the story unfolds, but it starts kind of at, at this Abraham stage. Abraham's married to Sarai, we heard, or better known as Sarah. Her name will get changed when she has a child as well. Uh, we'll call her Sarah for the sake of me not getting confused. Uh, Sarah's Abraham's wife. Um, but there's a problem here. She hasn't had any children yet to, to have this great nation to be born to him. And they're starting to get a bit old. So this is a problem. How's God going to fulfill his blessings to them, his promises, when both of them, Abraham and Sarah, are getting old? Now, there's also a third player in this story, third member of the family, uh, um, Hagar. Hagar is an Egyptian maidservant. Now, they probably picked her up along the way through their different travels through Egypt. Uh, that Hagar's become part of their family. The maidservants are usually accepted as part of their family. Uh, and she's part of it. But she's not really family. Almost all the time she's mentioned through this story, she's not just the maidservant. She's sometimes the slave girl, but she's often the Egyptian. The Egyptian. She's not one of us. She's the slave girl. She's the maidservant. She's got her place. So they're the three characters in this family story. Now, things get a little bit messy. If you followed the reading, uh, how uh, things were getting on, Abraham and Sarah are getting older. Sarah's getting a bit worried. You know, we're getting older. She's now uh, well into her 80s. And she's going, look, I'm not sure about this whole having children thing. Um, I'm not sure anybody here in their 80s is too excited about having children either but she's thinking oh, I'm not sure if it's going to work or not but I've got a plan so she uh, said to Abraham the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my maidservant perhaps I can build a family through her 
Now this was kind of an accepted practice of the day because she's a part of the household. If she has children, it's actually Abraham's and Sarah's children. It's part of their family. So what she's saying is, is accepted for the day. Now, Abraham's an interesting character. Uh, he doesn't particularly lead his family that well. In the past, before this had even happened, uh, he'd actually given away his wife, Sarah, twice, passing her off as his sister, uh, which kind of might say something a little bit about his leadership of the household. And here he's not putting up a lot of resistance either. Because Abraham agrees, uh, Hagar falls pregnant. Then an interesting twist happens in the household. Because this whole relational thing doesn't work does it when you got one man and he's effectively got two wives now uh, some people say well you know polygamy is okay it says it in the old testament yeah but it always says how bad it works because this is working out badly when Hagar falls pregnant she starts despising Sarah and you can imagine what's going on here the dynamics of um, Sarah's the madam of the house if you like the, the, the lady of the house uh, but Hagar is a, the maidservant she's pregnant she's probably got you know the hungry cravings you know for those interesting food you know can I have the salami on chocolate cake type cravings can you get it for me who's going to get it for her because she's the slave girl oh Sarah can you get me you know the chocolate cake and the salami please and so what's Sarah going to be thinking? It's like, you're the maidservant, you get it yourself. So you kind of see the tension that's going on here between the family dynamics that, that's happening. So it gets to a point where Sarah says, look, I've had enough. I've had enough. So she says to uh, Abram, Abraham uh, to get rid of her. She says, I've, I'm being despised, you get rid of her. He turns around and says, well, she's your slave girl, do whatever you want with her. So they're both passing the buck again. What are we going to do with this slave girl that's all pregnant to Abraham? Uh, then Sarah mistreats Hagar and she flees from her. Now, there's a lot going on in just this one sentence, isn't it? It's not just they had a little tiff. She's mistreating her. This is bad. And it's so bad for Hagar, even though... That Abraham's kind of his family is her family now. She's accepted. Uh, she's a part of that family. She's been looked after in that family. But now it's so bad. Her mis being mistreated is so bad. She's saying, "I'm better off just not being here. I'm better off going and leaving. I'm better off on my own." Now we can kind of sympathise with her a bit because I think most of us here would have experienced at some stage the sense of rejection the sense of uh, being pushed away, uh, being used like she's been, uh, being abandoned by those she was meant to look after her. And so she's being pushed out and left alone. So she's going out to the desert thinking that's going to be a better off uh, place. And sometimes we want to run too when that happens to us. Now, it's not as if she's the innocent victim here and she's not to blame at all because she has done things to provoke the relationship with her and Sarah. But she's not the one that's, um, that's the total at cause. So she's at fault, Sarah's at fault, Abram's at fault. In the end, Hagar leaves and she's gone. See, 
It's an interesting twist. If you like the Bible here, if you like the story of Abraham and the way he uh, gets given the promises and that's fulfilled through Jesus, you want Abraham to do well and the story to go through nice and smoothly. But in fact, when you hit the story of Hagar, you think this is a bit of a hiccup in the story. Things aren't going well. Actually, at this point, chapter 16 in Genesis, if we were to write Hagar out of the story, that wouldn't be a bad thing, right? It, a bit like the Harvey Weinstein thing. You know, he's stuffed up um, and now the skeleton's coming out of the closet to, to tear him down. You know what, Hagar coming up, oh, this great man of God, Abraham. Well, actually, you know what he did to me? So if, if Hagar disappeared, for the sake of the story, that mightn't be a bad thing. I think that's what Abraham and Sarah are thinking. You know, if she was to disappear, that's not such a big deal. But what does God think of all this? How does God feel how things have gone down and how things are playing out? Because God's a God that's not going to let her go. God's going to pursue her. And we pick it up in verse 7, uh, where he says, uh, An angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel gives her a promise of good news. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Now we need to know this is different to the promise God's already given Abraham in, in chapter 12. It's not what he's going to bless the nations through. This is a different blessing to Hagar, the one that's, that's a single mum that's now on her own, her son, will be uh, the start of a, a, a big nation. And then he goes on in verse 11, uh, the angel continued, The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. Because that's what Ishmael means, the Lord hears. Do you get the irony in this story? Nobody else cares about Hagar. Nobody else sees her. Nobody's running after her. Hagar's run out into the desert and Abram's running after her going, I'll save you. That's not happening. No one cares for her. No one sees her. No one hears her. But yet the angel says, God hears. God hears. God sees. And we get down to verse 13. And then she, she replies after hearing the bad news about it. It's going to be a rat bag of a kid. The angel also, uh, she says, You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You understand how this feeling? She's out in the desert. No one cares for her. No one knows her. No one loves her. Single mum, all by herself, used and abused. But God sees me. God hears me. God's reached out to me. This changes everything. She goes back, she has a child, she calls him Ishmael. Every time she picks him up, she goes, oh, Ishmael. She remembers, God sees, God hears, God cares for me. God cares. Because he's reached out to me when I was at my lowest, when I was out in the desert. Now, if we jump forward a few chapters, some interesting things uh, take place. Ishmael's now growing up in the household. Hagar's, Hagar's uh, in the household. But then there's a joke. The joke that changes everything is in chapter 21. Sorry, I just didn't check that. <clears throat> uh, see, Sarah has fallen pregnant. Sarah's now nearly 100 years old, and she's fallen pregnant. Now, that is a bit of a joke, even for Sarah. She's going, oh, who would have thought? 
Who would have thought that that would have happened? Uh, she has a child. She calls him Isaac, which means he laughs. It's not only Sarah's laughing at she's fallen pregnant and had this child. But it's a big joke. God's fulfilled his promises through an old woman who's beyond childbearing, but now she has a child. Uh, Isaac, he laughs. And then there's a party going on. Because in that tradition, in that time, uh, when the child was weaned, it was a big turning point. It was almost like the child's not a child anymore, which uh, the infertility rate was very bad. Children often died at that time. Uh, but now it's being weaned, it's a little bit older. Let's celebrate. And they gather everybody around for a big feast. But when that happens, when this party happens, uh, there's more laughing going on than Sarah. Uh, at the weaning, uh, Ishmael starts behaving badly. Uh, the son of the Egyptian woman. And you can imagine what he might be saying, mocking Sarah. Uh, you know, hey, let's, let's open up the presents now for, for the child and for the mother. And they open up a, a walker. And he goes, oh, that's funny. You know, when Isaac's finished with the walker, he can give it to his mum for the mum to be walker. That'd be funny, the old lady with the walker of the child. It's kind of that mockingness of what's going on here. The child, the elderly, it's giving cheek. He's a bit like his mum that way, I think, from when she was uh, giving cheek a bit earlier on. But Ishmael's giving cheek, and Sarah's had enough. So in verse 10, she says, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, she says to Abraham. For, the woman's son, uh, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So I've had enough of him. I've had enough of them, actually. Get rid of him. He's making my life hell. Just, just get rid of him. I don't care, she's saying. Now, you can imagine uh, how that's going down with her too, that uh, I want him not just out of the house, but I want him gone out of the inheritance. I don't want him a part of the family anymore. Particularly, I've got my own son now, Isaac. So now, what does Abraham do? You can guess, he's not the greatest leader of his household. Uh, He starts packing the bags for Hagar. He starts loading her up with food and uh, sending her off into the desert with food and water. And just saying, off you go. Now for Hagar, what is she meant to do? She's out in the desert again, rejected and alone. In fact, this is a little bit different before. Before she was the one so upset, Hagar left. Where this time, she's been kicked out. She's been kicked out with a bit of food, bit of water, in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. You know, no singles mum's retreat. No child support from Abraham. Bit of food, bit of water and off you go. And again, she's left alone, rejected, used and abused, uh, out in the desert with nobody there. The irony of this is, remember God's promise to Abraham? God said to Abraham, look, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And what's Abraham doing? Can't even look after a slave girl. He's sending her out. Not the Egyptian slave girl. We don't want her around. He's not a man of blessing at all. So here we find Hagar wandering the desert, it says, out of food, out of water, rejected and unloved. See, things are looking bad for her, so bad, she gets to a point where she knows her son's going to die. So she places him under a tree where he's got a little bit of shade and she walks away, uh, says an arrow shot distance. So loud enough, far enough away, probably here he's crying, but... um, She doesn't want to see this slow death of her son, which would be heart-wrenching enough. And we pick up the story uh, in chapter 21, 
from verse 17, where it says, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him, to, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation, affirming that promise. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin of water and gave it to the boy to drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. See, God comes to the rescue again. He's not going to leave her out there alone. He's going to seek her out. He hears her. He sees her. He goes for her and rescues her. Much different to Abraham. But he goes out to her. And we can still sympathise uh, with Hagar. The Abrahams failed her again. The people who were meant to bless her has failed her. The people who were meant to look after her and take responsibility for her. The mother of Abraham's child, he's got responsibilities, has let her down again. Now often that's our case. I mean, I could say, put your hand up, who hasn't been let down by people close to us? Because I think we all have at some point in time. Where people that we depend on, people that we think are going to be there, have let us down. But yet, push, and, and they push us away. So we can understand what she's going through. How she feels rejected. She feels lost and alone. But you've also got to think, has Hagar deserved this? Is she the hero of the story? No, she hasn't done anything to deserve uh, God. her being put out or God coming to the rescue she does nothing to deserve God's love she's not the hero of the story God uses a number of women particularly through the Old Testament uh, and holds them up as bright lights in contrast to God's own people saying this is the hero this is the one you should be admiring through this woman uh, God's line continues but for Hagar you know what happens to Hagar after this we don't know she kind of just disappears we don't hear from her Again, in the story. So she's not like a hero figure. She didn't deserve God's love. But yet, God pursued her. God heard her. God saw her. And God reached out to her and loved her. But God's mercy just, is just amazing. He not only rescued her once, but he kept pursuing her again and again. Every time Abraham let her down, God was there to pick up the pieces. God was there to rescue her. God was there to say, it's all right. I'm going to bless you through your son. I'm not going to let things go bad. God's love just goes on and on. His compassion. Compassion's more than just words, it's actions. And God's actions just keep going and going, bringing her in and making sure she's all right. See, we think of uh, the Statue of Liberty and the, the message of promise through that poem. How come, all oh, you homeless and uh, the weary and the tired, and we'll make everything all right in the homeland. And we kind of go, that's the sort of God that God is. That he likes helping the homeless, likes helping the helpless, the lost, the broken. But it's much more, much more than the Statue of Liberty. The Liberty is saying, if you come into the harbour, enjoy my land and everything's going to be all right. But God just doesn't say, come to me. God says, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to go to you. I hear your cries. I see what you're going through. I'm going to reach out to you. So that's why in Christianity we have this symbol, the cross. Where God says, I'm not just going to sit and watch on when you make a mess of your life, but I'm going to send my son Jesus to reach out to you, to rescue you. 
He's going to go through the pain that you're going through. He's going to go through the rejection that you know so well. He's going to make things right through his resurrection. He's going to make you right in welcoming you into the family. That's what he does through the cross. He reaches out and rescues us. See, God is a God not just with open arms, but he walks to us with open arms and seeks us out. I was sharing this story at a a church camp once, a camp at uh, another place, and uh, during the talk, towards the end of the talk, there was a woman uh, in tears, and not a little tears, she was really crying up the back. And uh, after the service, I had an opportunity to talk to her, and I said, "Uh, is everything all right? Did, Did I say something that sometimes upset people would you believe uh, but you know is everything okay and she said what you said tonight was a nighttime thing she said that's my story you told my story like she didn't look like she'd had a child and things like that but it's like tell me about your story what is your story she says well as I was growing up I was growing up through boarding school I had lots of uh, social issues uh, anxiety lots of things like that I didn't have any friends in fact, it played out um, with uh, her weight loss. She was anorexic and nobody would understand her. So she felt very alone, very rejected because people didn't understand her. She said it got so bad that one night, I think after some people she thought were friends sort of deserted her, um, in her boarding house where she had nobody around her, she actually sat out on a third-storey window and like, I'm better off without this. I'm better off just gone. I don't need this in my life. I'm out of here. She says, I remember sitting on that window as, a late, as an older teenager, the window open, looking at the sky. She says, I don't know what it was, but I felt God's presence, God's warmth. I felt God there and him giving me the message. She said she didn't hear a voice, but just saying everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She said, like what happened to Hagar. God sees, God hears. Everything's all right. So she come in the window, uh, she talked to another lady in the boarding house who was a Christian <clears throat> and over the next few days they read scripture, they prayed together uh, and she became a Christian at that time. She says, I know what Hagar was going through because that was my story too and she warmed to it so well. Now, we might not have those sort of stories, some of us might, but many of us have a similar story. In fact, I would say all of us have got some sort of story Because I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to be cast out. I know what it's like to be unloved. But through what this message is showing us, God does see you. God does hear your cries. God does love you and he reaches out to you. This is not just the loving God of the New Testament. This is the God of the Old Testament, which is the same God as the God in the New Testament. That he reaches out to us, he loves us. And you can know him through Jesus. See, this is the church we want to be here at Southside. Not just for those people who got their life together and just think they're, you know, they've made it. I've got my spiritual walk. You know, I'm religious enough or spiritual enough. But this is a place for the lost, the homeless, the broken, the outcast. That this is a place where we find love. In fact, maybe that's what brought you here today, this morning. That maybe God's prompted you to say, you need to know how much I love you. Come along to church. You need to hear this message. You need to experience my love. You need to know that you're loved and accepted. Not just here in a church, but to God himself. 
through what Jesus has done. Because he does. If he can reach out to the lowest of low, an Egyptian slave girl, single mum, abused and abandoned, if he can love her, he's certainly got enough love for all of us. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you that uh, you're just such an amazing God that even when we think we understand you, we just get this surprise of your love and your grace that abounds and pours out over us. Lord, I just pray for any of us here today that, that are really connecting with Hagar, that are here this morning, not, not sure whether they'll be accepted here, not sure whether they'll find love, but to know you are the God of love. You are the God that welcomes us and accepts us, even to the extent you sent your own son, Jesus, to seek us out, to search us out, and to die for us as an expression of love. Lord, help us to be a church that, that just glories in that, that we're not here for our own, from our own merit, from our own goodness, but even in our brokenness, you accept us, love us, and make us that, that shining light in our community. Lord, help us to love others the way you love us, that amazing love. And we just pray that today, uh, even over morning tea, through conversations, that we will know your love, that we will draw near to you and know you even better. In Jesus' name, amen.